Good morning. I'm Rob Overton. We'll be reading today from Colossians 1, 15 through 23, which is on page 983 in the Pew Bible. I'll give you just a moment to find that. Page 983, Colossians 1, 15 through 23. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Rob. Good morning. My name is Adam. I'm one of the pastors here at Hope Community Church, and Happy New Year. Uh, we're really glad that you're here with us. And kids, we're really glad that you're here in the, in the room with us. Love the buzz that you bring uh, to the room. So thanks uh, for that. If you would like, there are some activity packets on the back pew uh, back there. If there are any left, you can go grab those. And if for any reason you might need to stretch your legs, kids, you can take your parents um, out these doors and to the right to our uh, fellowship halls at Overflow Room where you can... Go in there, and uh, there's some activity sheets in there. The live stream is going on a TV in there, so you're welcome to stretch your legs in there if you need it. Um, You know, as we enter into this new year, we can start making new commitments to live differently, to maybe change some things as we look back at the previous year after evaluating 2022. Maybe we want to change how we eat or exercise Um, Maybe we want to change how we relate to our family and our friends, or uh, perhaps you have some goals vocationally. Or as we look back on our lives spiritually, maybe this year of 2023, we're wanting to be more intentional in our relationship with God and take some steps in doing that. Basically, we may be here this morning wanting to establish some new habits and patterns in our lives. And what I think these desires reveal about our souls and the deepest parts of our hearts is some of the basic human needs that we have. We have needs of safety and security, needs of significance, need for control, competence, and affirmation. And when I say that, don't don't hear that those are wrong. These needs aren't wrong. In fact, they're God-given needs that are part of being human. In the Next few weeks, like a few weeks, like Chris just said, we're going to be going through a sermon series through Colossians 3. 
and four, talking about our church's ministry philosophy and what we want to be about here at Hope, not just in 2023, but in the years to come. But here's the reality. A church philosophy might make us as a church feel safe and secure. It could make us feel significant or in control. A strong philosophy of ministry could make us look competent and then uh, because of some appearance of competence, we could receive some kind of affirmation. But a church philosophy doesn't root us or change us. Then personally, the establishing of new habits, patterns, or practices in our lives might make us feel more put together, but they don't root us or bring permanent stability. The only thing or person that can bring that is Jesus. Just over a page or two from Colossians 1 and Colossians 2, 6 through 7, Paul writes, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So here in Colossians 1, we're going to take a look at some of the inner workings of Christ, of who Christ is, and then My prayer is as we hear about who Christ is, we would be rooted and stable in him, not just for 2023, but for the years to come. So, all right, here in Colossians, the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the believers of the small city of Colossae, which would be located in modern-day Turkey. And he wrote this to warn them about false teachings that had begun to creep into the church of Colossae. A group of people called Gnostics had started to claim that they possessed supernatural knowledge that was necessary for salvation. This false teaching that these Gnostics were, were uh, creeping into the church mostly revolved around the deity and authority of Christ. They said that Jesus was one of many spirits that closed the gap between God and humans, not God in the flesh, who had come to redeem humanity, and to whom all authority in heaven and earth had been given to him, as he said in Matthew 28, 20, Matthew 28, 18. And so what they were basically saying was Jesus was not really a full de- deity. He was just a spirit, and he didn't have the authority that he claimed. So obviously, any teaching that would say that Jesus was not God and didn't have the authority that he claimed would cause some doubt, confusion, and maybe even fear and anxiety for those believers. So as we walk through this passage that Rob just read, I would like for us to imagine this passage in two ways. One, if you are a believer and follower of Jesus, I would like for us to imagine the stress that these first century believers would have been under because their faith was being challenged and subtly undermined. What what, what that must have been like for them? What would that be like for you to be taught that, that maybe Jesus really wasn't who he said he was? What would that feel like in your heart and your soul? And so my hope is, as I said, is that as we walk through this passage together, that we would be more rooted and grounded in who Jesus is. But it could be you're you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus. Maybe you're here and you feel shaken and unstable in your faith. Maybe you have lots of doubts and questions about who Jesus is. And I have found this place, this church, a place that is safe to ask questions, to have some doubts and discover some things about Jesus. So our prayer would be that through the work of the Holy Spirit that you would feel more compelled to trust him 
this morning. So starting here in Colossians 1 and verse 15, if you want to look at it again, we see Paul make three really profound statements about Christ. And because his deity was being questioned, he starts out with his deity. He says, he starts with his divine nature. He says in verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God. Now this is pretty interesting and pretty crucial in understanding who Jesus is. Paul is not telling the Colossians that Jesus is the exact image of God in a physical way, like an identical twin or maybe like a child looks like one of their parents. The idea here is that Jesus as God in the flesh is the manifestation of God. Or a more simple way of saying this, he clearly shows or embodies the nature, character of being God. An example of this would be in Matthew chapter 9, when Jesus looked out on the crowds of people. And Matthew tells us that as he saw the multitudes of people, he was moved with compassion because they were, they were like sheep without a shepherd. In that gospel account in Matthew 9, Jesus is showing the heart of God, that God sees us, that you and I are not lost in the crowd to God. God is very aware, not just of what we are doing, but what's going on deep inside of our souls. And he sees deep into our souls and he's moved with compassion. This is just one example of many of how Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He shows us what God is like, what his values are, and, and embodies the being of God. And as God, he humanizes and personalizes God. Then we also see here in verse 15, he's called the firstborn of all creation. This title given to Jesus is given in a few other places in the New Testament. And in those places, the implication is a priority of time that Jesus existed before creation, which is true. And is also the highest ranking in all creation. And here in Colossians 1, Paul is giving the same idea about Jesus, but he's also uh, implying that Jesus is before all creation and time, and he's over in rank and, and deity. But there's also in this title that Paul gives us of firstborn of all creation, a thought towards the ancient practice of giving the firstborn in a family rights and privileges that other kids didn't have. During these ancient times, the firstborn of a family was expected to be a, the father's representative, an heir or successor. And then one of his responsibilities when the time was right was to manage the, manage the household. So Jesus as the firstborn of all creation is God the father's representative to the world as the embodied presence of God. He's the heir of heaven he manages, manages the divine household of God, which we'll see in just a minute. And now Paul goes into why Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. Because he says in verse 16, look at it again with me. He says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So why is Jesus the firstborn of creation? Why does he rule it? Because he made it. 
And, God, and Paul gives us three phrases to help us understand him. So that first phrase in verse 16, the phrase by him in some translations, you might have a different translation than from what I'm reading, but some translations, instead of saying by him, they say in him all things were created. Creation happened in Christ and that it happened as one commentator puts it within the sphere of his person and power. Jesus as God was intricately, I said it, intricately involved in creation. He was hands-on with it and it came about with his very being. He's the one that caused it. Creation originated from him. He is the spiritual center of all creation. All things in creation were created in him. Verse 16 says that all things were not just created in him, but they were also created through him. So he was all creation was created in him and then through him. He was the one that the entire universe moved through from God the Father to come into being. So all of creation came about in Christ and in a sense was birthed out by him. John in his gospel says in John 1 verse 3 says that all things were made through him. So we have all of the universe was made first in Christ and second through him. And as we see at the very end of verse 16, for him. Creation was made for him in that the end of all things exists for him. He is the goal that all things were intended to go towards. I have a confession to make. I had a lot of fun watching the World Cup this year. I'm not the biggest soccer fan. In fact, there's a lot about soccer. I don't really understand some of the intricacies of it. Uh, Stephen Ellison on our staff has kind of tried to help me understand how like regulation and promotion works and all of that. And it sounds really confusing to me, but I did have some fun watching the World Cup this year. And I don't, like I said, I don't understand a lot about soccer. My kids play soccer. So when I'm cheering them, my cheering is basically just kick it and follow it. That's all the coaching I can give my kids is just to kick it and follow it. So I, I have a very limited knowledge of soccer, but the limited knowledge I have of soccer is I do understand that the game is supposed to flow, supposed to go towards the goal. I got that right, don't I? So creation is supposed to move towards Christ. But because of the fall and sin and brokenness, it doesn't do that. There's, there's dysfunction and tension in creation. So Jesus came to reconcile it and is coming again to redeem it. Why? Because all of creation is meant to serve his will and contribute to his glory. And as part of his creation and because of sin, we might feel some friction with that reality because if all things were created for him, it might sound like or feel like Jesus has some kind of narcissism because all things were made in him and through him, of course, he has the right of creation to be for him. And that might sound a little bit of narciss like that's narcissistic, like all creation exists for him. But the reality is, is that because creation is for him and is moving towards him, that is a grace of his. It's moving towards him because the cosmos is flowing and moving towards him. And it's not chaotic. There's order to a, our, our, our universe and it's moving towards him. So it's not narcissistic for, his, for creation to be moving towards Christ and before Christ. It's actually a grace in his goodness that it does that. 
So an important, an important part of being in relationship with Jesus as his creation is surrender. And that might feel a little tense because of our sinful nature. We want to be autonomous. We want to be free and make our own decisions. And so there's a rub there. But the beauty of what Jesus has done is that only true, pure freedom can be found in him. Because as we surrender our lives to him, then we get to participate in the redemption of his creation. So, so far we've seen that Christ is the firstborn of creation. All things were created in him, through him, and for him. And the Apostle Paul in verse 17 helps sum that up by saying, He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Now that's a lot. We've covered a lot of ground in a really short time. Like we could almost spend weeks just unpacking this passage of Scripture. But Paul, as he often does, he just keeps going. He keeps trucking along, so let's just buckle in and keep going with him. He says that he is Jesus. He is the head of the body, the church. To be the head of the church is to be the sovereign ruler of the church. As I said a few minutes ago, that Jesus as the firstborn of all creation is God the Father's representative to the world. And part of those duties as the Son of God is to manage the divine household of God, which is the church. Like a firstborn of a family would in ancient times manage the Father's household, Jesus manages the church. He is the head of it. He rules it. We'll talk about this more in the coming weeks when we talk about our ministry philosophy here at Hope. And I hope you do jump into this uh, sermon series. If you have friends of yours that are looking for a church, invite them to come. If you have uh, family, friends, neighbors that are looking to know more about Jesus, this would be a great time for them to jump into that. But as we look at our ministry philosophy here at Hope, it's important for us to remember and live out that because Jesus is the head of the church and died for it, that it's all about him. It's all about him, all about the church. It's all about him. And as the church, we are the means by which Jesus carries out his purposes and performs his redemptive work. So we as the church have a very sacred and high calling together as brothers and sisters in Christ. In the second half of verse 18, Paul says, look at it again with me. He says, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he would be preeminent. In other words, Christ is the origin and source of the life of the church. Christ came and died on the cross and was resurrected. And that work is the life source of all of life. He rose from the dead, and because of that, his sovereignty and rule spreads out wider and more significant so that in all things he is supreme. Then in verse 19 and 20, and don't miss this, Paul gives a summary of this good news by saying, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. 
Remember, Paul is writing to the Colossian church that was experiencing key foundational doctrines being undermined. So he's reinforcing who Jesus is. So he explains that God, that he is God, that God is, that God is resides in Christ fully because he is God, he's deity. And through Christ, God is reconciling all things to himself and specifically has brought peace rather than hostility between God and humanity through the righteous blood of Christ on the, Christ on the cross. And the reason that this is good news for us is because now look at verse 21 through 23. This is good news for you and I because it's made personal for us. Paul says, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil's deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. Though we are sinful and rebellious towards God, and the reality of our sinfulness and God's holiness creates division, Jesus came to restore the relationship between us and God by his death. Why did he do that? To present us holy and righteous before God, which is all that can only bring true stability. So you and I can know that we can be reconciled to God because he desires a relationship with you. So if you haven't, trust Christ for your righteousness because the work of Christ, he is preeminent, he is supreme, and he wants to be that in your life. We've walked through a lot in a really short time. I mean, we've seen that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation, that all things were created in him, through him, and for him. We've seen that he's the head of the church. He's done a massive work to provide salvation to us. And to be honest, it could be easy for us after going through a passage of scripture like this to begin to feel overwhelmed or intimidated by all that Christ is. It could be easy for us to go through a passage like this and just see it as a, a list of facts about Jesus. And so that could be made, this passage could make Jesus feel cold or sterile. We could begin to think of Jesus as this really massive cosmic power that is impersonal and because of his preeminence and his supremeness that he wouldn't want anything to do with us. But here's the truth. Jesus wants a personal and intimate relationship with us. This God who is all of these things listed here in Colossians 1, he sees you. He knows everything about you. Jesus knows your strengths and your weaknesses. He knows what causes you stress and anxiety. He knows what pain and grief we carry. This preeminent God knows how you've been hurt and devastated. He knows all about our family of origin and how that has formed us and how we relate to ourselves and to each other and even him. He, Jesus knows all about our stuff. 
And even though he knows all about our stuff and what's going on inside of our hearts and in the deep recesses of our souls, and even though he is preeminent, he is for us and wants to be in relationship with us. That's what roots us. That's what changes us. In closing, I want to take everything that we've heard today and all that Jesus is, and I want us to think about it one more time, but through the lens of a familiar passage of Scripture, Psalm 23. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read it. I don't even want you to turn over there to that passage. I want you just to to just sit, to maybe just to close your eyes, take a breath, and hear what this preeminent God is personally to us. So let's do that together, okay? Let's sit there. Let's close our eyes. Let's take a breath and hear what King Jesus personally is to us. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Not changes we might try to, try to make in our life by some amount of willpower that we can muster up. But Jesus, the preeminent good shepherd, roots us, stabilizes us, and gives life to us. Which is why we take communion every week. To remind ourselves and each other of the good work that Jesus has done to reconcile us back to God. As we come and take communion together, there'll be four lines here at the front. There'll be a gluten-free station right here, uh, right here in front of the podium. Kids, we're really glad that you're here with us. And so if you're a little bit unsure about communion or what to do, you can have that conversation with your parents or we'd love to have that conversation with you at some point. If you're here this morning and you're not a follower or believer in Jesus, there's some prayers on the back of the bulletin that you receive that we'd love to walk with you through that. We'd also love to sit down and have a conversation with you if there's anything you'd like to sit down and talk about. But here in just a second, our worship team's going to come and play for us. And we'll take communion to remind us of the good work that Jesus has done to reconcile us back to God that stabilizes and changes us. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for thank you for being the ruler of all the universe because you created it. 
Thank you for being the head of the church. Thank you for the massive work that you have done to save us. We thank you that you are personal, that you are real, and that you see us and you are for us. I pray that you would continue to do the slow, consistent work of changing us to be more like you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.